decisions, uh, evaluation, registration, and so forth. Um, take these and spread them out into the community so that we can promote that. Today, at, uh, also, I'm just thinking off the cuff here, we're, we're having communion. We're taking, remembering the Lord's Supper. So if you did not get a communion cup as you came in, please do that before the end of the service. Uh, deacons meeting, 5 a.m. today. Did I say a.m.? Man, you, you already missed it, and so did I. Uh, 5 p.m. today, at 6 o'clock, we're going to gather with Joe and Judy up here. 6 o'clock, and we're going to sing hymns together. I know, isn't that exciting? We have not done that in a long time. So you'll get to pick a hymn, and if they can play it, we'll sing it. If they can't play it, we'll still try to sing it a cappella. And then we're going to close with a time of prayer. That's at, that's at 6 o'clock today. So um, any other announcements? Anything else we need to highlight or emphasize? So there will not be youth today at 6. Uh, they can come in here and sing with us if any want to come. And there also won't be youth Wednesday night. I think that's all that I have. Let me mention a few prayer requests. And if you all have announcements, stop me at any point. Okay, uh, Scott Gentry local Word of Life leader, a lot of you know Scott, he and his wife both have tested positive for COVID. So Scott asked for our prayers for he and his wife. Amanda Stevens, uh, Miss Colleen mentioned prayer for her. She has had a shunt put into her spinal cord. I don't know all the details, but let's pray for Amanda Stevens. And then Tracy McCormick, who's already on our list, he had a feeding tube put in. I know a lot of y'all know Tracy McCormick and Franklin. I don't know the details of, of, of what that, you know, what the implications of that are, but anyway, he had to have a feeding tube put in. She, she texted me that. So any other prayer requests or updates or announcements? We have been praying for Jacob Thompson. Okay. Yeah, me either, Miss Savon. Thank you. Jacob Thompson. Miss Patsy. Hey, man. Congratulations. Okay. Thank you, Miss Patsy. And congratulations to you, Mr. Johnny. Yes, sir. Cindy Brock. Absolutely. She's already on our list also. Jeff's been communicating with her this week. And uh, let's, let's remember Cindy Brock. She has multiple health issues and a very difficult environment for her health. So let's pray for her. Thank you, Jeff. Kyle. Bozart? Mm. Okay, thank you, Kyle. Brian Bozart. 
Well, why don't we stand and pray? I'd like to ask Benji Alexander, if he would, to uh, pray for us and for these requests. And then Catherine will come and lead us. Let's sing to the Lord. Thank you, Benji. this morning was singing Holy Spirit.
precious Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you so much for um, just giving us the precious gift of the Holy Spirit, God. Lord, thank you for making your presence known in this place, God. And Lord, thank you so much um, for just the powerful week you gave our youth and leaders down at Laguna, God. Um, Lord, as we dived into Romans 12 every day and, and just look at the transformations in the life of Jacob and Peter and Saul, God, Lord, I just pray that our youth who've came home are, are encouraged um, by one of those stories, God, to see that there's no life that you can't transform, God. There's no life that you can't use, and there's nobody that you don't want to love, God. So may we be encouraged to have an unashamed love for you um, and just to sing your praises this morning, God. Lord, as we um, dive back into Luke, God, Lord, I just um, thank you for um, blessing our church with Pastor Neil, and I thank you for bringing him back home to us tonight, and I pray that you just fill him with the same energy, God, that we got to experience this week, Lord, um, and I just pray that you speak clearly as he teaches us about the transfiguration of Christ, God. Lord, we just give this time of study over to you, and we just thank you so much. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 9. We're still in Luke's gospel. Uh, Bryson preached two weeks ago from the text preceding where we'll be this morning. Uh, all week long, our students were with four other churches at Laguna Beach in Panama City, Florida, where um, we worked through Romans chapter 12, and the theme was transformed, transformed. So this morning, we're also going to continue that same theme with another transformation, but this actually is the transformation of Christ, also known as the transfiguration of Christ, where Jesus Christ himself was transformed, and we're going to see today what that means. So turn with me to Luke chapter 9, we're going to start with verse 28. But then after I read verse 28, or at least half of it, we're going to back up and read the text that Bryson read two weeks ago because it's crucial to the context for us to see. Now, here's what I struggled with. Why, why did this happen? Uh, why did the transfiguration happen at this point in the lives of the disciples? And not only why did it happen, but what in the world does it mean? Because let's be honest, this is one of those strange passages in the scriptures that, you know, they're involved in an experience that, that is supernatural, it's transcendent, it's, it involves clouds and, and lightning-like uh, flashes, and I mean, it's just, it's amazing, it's beyond us. So what exactly does it mean? So if you look at verse 28, let's look at when this happened. It says that some eight days after these sayings. So then we've got to stop and ask, well, what were the sayings? The sayings were what Bryson preached two weeks ago. And let's just say that these sayings were not comfortable sayings. They were not easy sayings. They were shocking they went against everything that at this point the disciples had, had thought about what the Messiah would be. So that's why, if, if you'll give me a moment, let's go back to verse 22 and see what the sayings were. Because I really think that the transfigura transfiguration, 
Sorry. The transfiguration of Jesus is to help the disciples become clearer about who Jesus is so that when they're called to this life of suffering and sacrifice, they have a glimpse of the glory. They have a glimpse of the future. The future of Jesus and their future. So let's go back to verse 22. Again, shocking, difficult, they don't understand this yet, but, but one day they will, and they'll look back, and they'll know clear what it all meant. So, the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised up on the third day. That's the gospel. That's what was going to happen in Jesus. So, he was saying to them all, It was not only about Jesus, but it was also about them and their participation in his movement, in his mission. If any of you wishes to come after me, let him look. Deny himself, take up his cross daily, daily, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he's the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself or his soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory? The glory of the Father and the glory of the holy angels. So notice what he's talking about. The cross, suffering, self-denial. But now he starts talking about what? Glory. The glory of the Father. The glory of the angels. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who shall not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So now knowing that the transfiguration is coming next in the text, you see how all this connects? There's suffering and then there's glory. There's the suffering of Jesus and then there's the glory of Jesus. And then there's going to be the suffering of Peter, James, and John. And then there's going to be the glorifying of Peter, James, and John. And they're going to get a glimpse. God's going to pull back the curtains. Briefly, momentarily, and they're going to get a glimpse of future glory. So right now in my household, some people are dreading school is starting back. (laughs) Ah! Those dreaded words. Yeah, but there's a purpose. There's a reason. There's a future. And if you could just see where all this is heading, it would make it easier to endure the daily grind. So there's a... Okay, now the text. (laughs) That was last... That was two weeks ago, Neil. Where were you, right? So some eight days after these sayings, they're still processing this. They're still learning. It came about that Jesus took along Peter, James, and John. Excuse me, Peter, John, and James. And he went up to the mountain to pray. While he was praying, the appearance of his face became different. It was transformed. It was transfigured. His clothing became white and gleaming. So not only did his face change, but... His clothing changed. You ought to read in Mark chapter 9 and Matthew 17. 
It says that Jesus' clothing became as bright and he became as bright as the sun. And, and one commentator, one of the Gospels adds, his clothes became whiter than any launderer on earth could possibly whiten them. And man, I used to think my mom could get a stain out of anything. This is better. All right, this is brighter. And behold, two men were talking with Jesus. Well, who were these two men? Well, they were the Mount Rushmore, so to speak, of the Old Testament. Moses and Elijah. And they also were appearing in glory. And they were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? A conversation between Moses, Elijah, and Jesus about what he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. I'll be honest, as I studied this text, I was surprised by that. I had never quite locked in on that one. Wouldn't you have loved to have heard Moses and Elijah and Jesus talking about what was going to happen? So Peter and his companions, well, guess what they're doing? They're asleep. (laughs) Unreal, isn't it? Well, no, not really. By the end of this sermon, some of you may be asleep, right? It's very believable. We're so limited in our capacity to take in the glory. But when they were fully awake, look, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. So they wake up. It came about as these were parting from him. Uh, Peter said to Jesus, here he goes, foot in mouth again. Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then Luke adds, he didn't realize what he was saying. So while he was saying this, a cloud forms and begins to overshadow them. They were afraid. In fact, Mark and Matthew said they were absolutely terrified as they entered the cloud. And then a voice A voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. So Moses and Elijah are gone. Well, they were silenced. They kept silent. They reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. Father, this is a very holy, sacred moment that Peter and James and John had on the mountain with Christ. May we recognize that we too are are in, in a holy moment. That when we gather together as the church before your word with each other, that your spirit is here. Father, you are here through the power of your spirit. Your son is here. And when we preach and proclaim your word, Lord, we are, we are connecting in a real way with your voice and with your word. May we listen today and heed the good news and heed the warnings, heed the encouragement, and the conviction that's found in this particular passage. Help me, help us open our minds, our hearts, our mouths, and help us to apply this to daily living. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so my take this morning is that this moment happened with Peter, James, and John to give them a clearer picture of some things. Who Jesus was, what the plan of salvation was going to be, and then what discipleship meant. So there's the person of Jesus, the plan of salvation, and the path of discipleship. Do y'all remember in the days, and as I look around, most of you will, the, the, the old days of television, before cable, before Hulu, before Netflix. My dad, when I was a little boy, would send me out to the side porch of the house and say, turn the antenna. <laughs> and he had a pole that was loose in the ground and it was loose with the clips so that I could either turn that thing, whoa, 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 stop right there, toward Atlanta? Or where we live, turn it to the right. You know, I was, I was the... Now later on, he got one of these automated things that you could turn it inside. Did you have one of those, Al? With a taller... I mean, we were all about television. There were only three channels, but a lot more to watch then than there is to watch now. But that's beside the point. Oh, you're too far. Now turn it back. And what they were doing inside is that they were watching the screen and they were letting me know when things got clear. I was the remote control, you know. A lot of you remember those days. So I thought about that when I thought about this moment and what it, what it must have meant. I really think what God is doing is He's clarifying the picture. He's showing them more of who Christ is. He's showing them more of who they're going to be. And He's showing them the, uh, a bigger picture, a clearer picture of, of where the cross, where the suffering, where the self-denial, the difficult things, where, where they're taking them and where they're going to take Christ. Now, they don't understand all this yet. They're learning in this moment something that later on down the road they're going to look back and they're going to say, Ah, God gave us a glimpse of glory and that was just what we needed at the time even though we didn't really realize it. Because let's be honest here. Let's be clear. They do not yet understand all that's taking place. And, and I can show you, I can prove to you they didn't understand it. If you look at Luke chapter 9 where we are, and you look at verse 44, 45, after they get down from the mountain and get back into real life, Jesus tells them again what's going to happen. The Son of Man in verse 44 is going to be delivered into the hands of, of men. Look at verse 45. They did not understand this statement. It was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. So they didn't get it. And also God was keeping them from getting it. And also they were terrified to ask him about these things. And then in verse 46, they start arguing with one another about who's the greatest. You have got to be kidding me. No. After that mountaintop experience, they're right back into not understanding and arguing 
and being afraid to ask, you know who they remind me of? <laughs> you and me. So let's get into this. What, what in the world is a transfiguration? I had to look that up. That's not a word. Do y'all use that word a lot? I don't. So Google the word transfiguration. This is what you'll find. It is a complete change of form or appearance into a more beautiful or spiritual state. So the word transfiguration is a positive term. Because there can be change and form that they can go in the wrong direction, a bad direction. You, know, you can change for the worse. But a transfiguration is a change for the better. At least in this context, for sure. And then Google uses this phrase, the radiant glory of Christ. The radiant glory of Christ. The New American Standard has a little note, the splendor of Jesus. But then it used a sentence, used the word in a sentence. And here's the example of a, of a sentence with transfiguration in it. And this one connected with me too. In the light, the junk undergoes a trans transfiguration. It shines. <laughs> Man, usually in the light, my junk undergoes something, but it's not a transfiguration. It doesn't shine at all. I don't, know, I don't know who typed that in. Whoever created that Google definition. But here's the point. It's a lot, it, it, it is a metamorphosis. Now, with our youth, on one particular day, they did a, an activity on the beach where they built sandcastles that related to the theme of the week, transformation. And one young artist in one of the groups... She created a butterfly in the sand. Because that is a wonderful natural illustration of metamorphosis and transfiguration. A butterfly becomes beautiful and glorious in sp splendor because over time it has formed and changed and is transfigured. So I, I felt like that group, at least that person in that group, Got the theme. We're becoming something more beautiful, more glorious through the process of God's grace in discipleship. So let's talk a little bit about these three things that I want to talk about. Number one, the person of Jesus. The transfiguration clarifies and gives a more complete picture of of who Jesus is. Would you agree that if they could talk about it, they would have said, we saw a side to Jesus we'd never seen before. It'd be fair to say, wouldn't it? Because they've heard his radical teachings. They've seen these wonderful miracles, but they ain't seen nothing yet, right? I mean, they see a, a, a part of Jesus that is... It's shocking and it's intense and it's, it's terrifying. So it's different from what they had seen and heard before. His personality and his nature is starting to open up and, and, and take form and shape. They're discovering more of who this powerful and gracious person really is. Now there's still a lot they don't know. But they had all these preconceived notions and a limited and incomplete understanding of Jesus 
cross-bearing, what the kingdom's about. And in the midst of this, God has promised them and Jesus suffering, weakness, and humiliation. A cross? What is that? What did that mean for them in Luke chapter 9? Because that's the first mention in Luke's gospel of a cross. They were in the Roman world. They knew what a cross meant. Take up a cross? You're going to a cross? What in the world? That sounded awful and horrible. So he gives them something white, white, is what the text literally says. His face shone like the sun. Matthew says as white as light. Does that remind y'all of anything in the book of Acts? What about the transformation of Paul on the road to Damascus? Paul saw a light that he said, what, outshone the sun, which is why as children, some of you saying, I've got a home in glory land that what? That outshines the sun. But what a moment. Brightness, purity, holiness, transcendence. We, we could keep going on and on. The reality here is that this is a dangerous truth and a dangerous person that you and I must submit to. Boy, if they had Jesus in a box, this just expanded the box. So God is clarifying the identity and nature of Jesus for the disciples and giving them a glimpse of his glory. So let's think about what that means and think about what that entails. But as we do that, I think it's important that we mention Moses and Elijah. Why Moses and Elijah? As I said, those two would have been the Mount Rushmore, two of the Mount Rushmore of of the Old Testament. Well, Moses also had a mountaintop experience. That's interesting, isn't it? And Moses also experienced the glory of God partially, Graciously. And Moses gave the people, God spoke through Moses and gave them what? The law that revealed God's holy nature and God's holy character. And there was thunder and there was lightning. So so you got Moses in his splendor and his glory. He represents the law of God and how God's brightness and holiness is seen through the law. But you've also got Elijah. He also had a mountaintop experience with the prophets of Baal. He also spoke of God's glory. Elijah represents the prophets of God because the disciples were looking for an Elijah to come before the Messiah. And Jesus said, Elijah, if you receive it and believe it, has come through who? Through John the Baptist. But then Moses and Elijah disappear. What are we to take from this? This, to cut to the chase, is what we're to take. Jesus is in a category all by himself. Moses was glorious and revealed glory. Elijah was glorious. He revealed glory. But all the law, all the prophets, the whole of the Old Testament was pointing to Christ so that we speak not of Jesus the Great, but of Jesus the One and Only. He is the only begotten Son. 
The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth was revealed through Christ. That's why God the Father says, no, not Moses and Elijah, but this, this we sing at Christmas is Christ the King. This is my chosen one. This is my son. So God is speaking to Christ about a unique relationship that he has with Jesus and a unique work that Jesus is going to accomplish. I must move on, but this is why Jesus is King of Kings. Jesus is Lord of Lords. That's why we're singing this morning about Jesus and how he is above and beyond everyone else because he is God's chosen one. He is the Messiah. Listen to him. It's the same thing his mother said at the very first miracle at the wedding at Cana. When he turned the water to wine and there was a problem with the wedding coordinator that they'd run out of wine and everybody was stressed and frantic and running around, his mother said, whatever he says to do it, you do it. Listen to him. His heavenly father is saying the exact same thing right here. Whatever Jesus says to do, you do it. Listen to him. So that's why, Peter, you didn't know what you were talking about when you said, let's, hey, this is great, let's build three tabernacles. <laughs> let's build three shelters. Now, I get in a minute why he said that. But isn't it interesting that, uh, listen to this. They saw something with their eyes that was beyond them, just mind-boggling. And then they heard something with their ears. What'd they hear? The Father's voice. So God is changing their minds and hearts and lives through what? Through their eyes and through their ears. Now the law of God will open our eyes and open our ears and it will shut our mouths. And for this moment, that's what God does with Peter, James, and John. He opens their eyes, momentarily pulls back the curtain. He opens their ears. Momentarily, they hear God speak. I mean, does it get any bigger than that? No. He opened their ears. And then he closed their mouth because they're still a work in progress. And they really, I'll be honest, and, and we can think of illustrations. They, they, they simply do not know enough about what's happening to be able to talk correctly about it. And that's why Jesus says, be silent. Don't tell anyone what had, what had happened. Okay, are you still with me? What does the transfiguration clarify? First of all, the person of Jesus. I've got to move on. It also says something about the plan of salvation. Now, as I said earlier, I found it very, very interesting that there's a conversation going on in this passage between Moses and Elijah and Jesus. And it says that they were talking about his departure. That's a strange phrase there. They were talking about his departure, which he was going to accomplish in Jerusalem. The word departure there is the same word which is exodus. They're talking about Jesus' exodus. He's going to make an exodus, an exit, a departure in Jerusalem. What in the world is that about? It's got to be about the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension. He is going to leave. 
In fact, that's exactly what this means. His departure is going to accomplish something in Jerusalem. So, so wait a second. There's a plan. And Moses and Elijah and Jesus are privy to the plan. They, they know what's going on, and they're, they're talking about it. So God must have a plan. So as he talks about suffering in the cross, and, and they're talking about this departure that's going to take place in Jerusalem, that's going to accomplish something. Hmm. Luke's whole gospel is the unfolding of the plan that God had foreordained in eternity past. That Jesus had come from glory... So oftentimes when preachers preach this, they're preaching about the glory that is to come. But James, John, and Peter got a glimpse of what Jesus was before he came to earth and was born in Bethlehem. He humbled himself. He left the glory that they saw for that moment, came to earth as a human being to suffer and die and live a life of service and weakness and brokenness and poverty, but he was going to depart and return to glory in his own exodus. And just like Moses and the exodus in the Old Testament, he is leading us out of slavery and bondage into glorious freedom. So there's the plan. And in this moment, on this mountain, God is showing them the plan. Do they get it all yet? No. Are they going to get it all later? Yes. And they're going to look back and say, we should have known it all along. There was a plan. (laughs) Now, my wife planned a wonderful trip for nine Aubreys. She needs a special award. Flew to Minnesota. Rode a train to Montana, got out at Glacier National Park, spent a few days, glorious mountaintop experiences. (laughs) Went to Seattle, flew back home. Have you ever seen the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? It's kind of like that. (laughs) My uncle, who either he's 80 or almost 80, the oldest one on the trip, Roy Aubrey, some of y'all know him. He just longed for the ride, man. He had the time of his life. But there were times that were difficult and frustrating. Because Tracy had a plan that I knew a little, little about, and they knew a little about, but nobody knew everything. <laughs> and my Uncle Roy, on one particular case, he says, he says, you got a map? I says, yeah, I got a map. He says, all I need you to do is show me where we are and then show me where we're going. I said, okay, Uncle Roy, I got the map. I says, look, we're right here, okay? <laughs> and later this afternoon, we'll be right here. He said, all right. He says, there's a plan. He said, that's all I need to know. Because there obviously were moments along that trip where he thought, has anybody got a plan? (laughs) And think about your life and my life. You've been through some things and you've thought to yourself, what's going on? God, is this thing out of control? We're going through crosses and sufferings and Moses, Elijah, and Jesus We're talking about the plan. And that plan was going to be followed and finished to accomplish for us the ultimate exodus. And you and I need to remind ourselves, God, yes, you you do have a plan and you sacrificed your son in that plan. There's a lot here that that we could continue to talk about. Does this not remind you of, of the Garden of Gethsemane also, right? That... 
that here we had this mountaintop experience with the transfiguration, but, but then you got the same three, the same inner circle, and they're falling asleep in grief and sorrow over what's happening in Gethsemane. Just as the transfiguration was part of God's plan, so was Gethsemane. He's got these same guys, woozy and frustrated and exhausted, but, but he's bringing them along. So let me get to the, the, the closing part. I, I think this also clarifies for us the path. Not just the plan of salvation, but, but their response to it, how they're going to walk on a regular basis. Because God truly is transforming Peter, especially, and also James and John. Just as Jesus was transformed, they're, they're going to be transformed. You know, Peter doesn't know a lot at this point. He doesn't know yet that he's going to deny Jesus three times. Peter doesn't know how horrible he really is. And that's one reason why when it, when it comes to the part where he says, Lord, let's, let's put up three tabernacles, Mark tells us that Peter was just trying to think of something to say. You ever been in a situation when somebody asks you for a statement, maybe they put a microphone in front of you, and they said, what do you think? And you were so nervous and so terrified that you said, uh, I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> Peter's so limited. He's so limited. Mark literally says he, didn't, he, he was so scared he didn't, he didn't know what to say. And in such a glorious moment, they're, they're falling asleep. They're exhausted. They don't understand. They don't know what to say. They're limited in their capacity right now. To either understand glory or to be glorious. But Peter does know, man, in the moment, that, that, that looks, it looks real good right here, right now on this mountain. Isn't it interesting that sometimes you go on vacation and you say to yourselves, man, if we could just stay here the rest of our lives. Well, we're at Glacier. We saw some places. Man, it would be so cool to live here. But then I thought, I'd freeze to death. <laughs> you can't stay here. You wouldn't survive here. They weren't in any condition to live on the mountain with God at this point in their life, were they? They were not. In no condition to be in those conditions. Some people say the same thing about youth camp. I've heard students say this before. Boy, if we could just stay at youth camp, you know, and have preaching and then small groups and, and feed us. Boy, wouldn't it be great if we could all stay in youth camp forever? And I'm thinking, no, it would not. <laughs> yeah, that's a mountaintop experience of, 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 of a certain kind. But by the second week, the five churches, we'd all be at each other's throats by the second week. And here's why you can't stay on the mountain. Here's why you can't stay on vacation. Here's why we can't stay at youth camp. It's not the destination. It's not the ending. There was still so much more for Peter, James, and John to learn about themselves, about the cross, and about glory before they really would be conditioned for glory. Man, hey, you got to come down the mountain and be with the rest of us for a while before you really get to glory. Come down here with the rest of us. 
Peter, James, and John thought, well, hey, we've left the riffraff down at the foot of the mountain. We've left reality down at the foot of the mountain. Let's just stay up here. No. There was one student leader from another church. He says, man, I'm, I've enjoyed youth camp. She says, but I'm ready to get home. She says, my husband's back at home, and he's been struggling with kidney stones all week long. The reason we can't stay on the mountain is we've got responsibilities. We've got responsibilities on planet Earth in daily life and daily reality because while we're on vacation, the grass continue to grow, right? So you get home and it's waist high. You can't stay on vacation. You've got responsibilities. There's people at home who need you. There's a world who needs you. You can't stay at youth camp. Your husband needs you. Life needs you. Peter, James, and John had to come down from that mountain because they were still walking the path of salvation, the path of discipleship. But isn't it wonderful that God does, you, does give you those mountaintop experiences? We get Sunday mornings, we get vacations in the mountains, and we get to go to youth camp to strengthen us to endure until the end. Right? So later in Peter's life, he writes a tell-all. And it's called First and Second Peter. And in Second Peter, while Peter's encouraging the church to love and sacrifice and obedience, difficult things, he says in chapter 1 of Second Peter, I remember I was on the mountain with the transfiguration of Jesus, and we saw and we heard. And he says, I want you all to be encouraged by that because these are not cleverly devised tales. We didn't make this up. And then he says, you have the prophetic word made more sure that if you'll pay attention to it, God will encourage and change and transform your life. Peter looked back on this moment and then he was able, then he was conditioned to tell it all. But then and only then. So before we take communion, I've got one other thought. And I'll close with this one. Peter, James, and John were terrified by the glory. They couldn't take it. They were sinners. They were limited. They couldn't be in God's presence without it absolutely destroying them. And the Bible says that, I think it's Matthew's gospel, Matthew's version of this, that when they were terrified, Jesus reached down and he touched. He touched them. And he said, don't be afraid. What a gracious moment. How can you and I be on the holy mountain with God for all eternity? How can we enjoy the glory? Because, here's why. The Son of God, who was glorious in eternity past, came down to earth as the Son of Man, took upon Himself our flesh, at the cross bore, our wrath, bore the wrath that we deserved. He took upon Himself the holy nature of God on the cross so that you and I might later be changed to be like Him so that we could enjoy heaven, a true mountaintop experience in relationship with God for all of eternity. In other words, what we have in the cross, in the, in, in the, the bread of, of Christ and the blood of Christ is what He did. It's what He underwent. He underwent a transformation so that we could be transformed to be able to take the glory. Does that make sense? So when we, when we break the bread and when we drink the cup, we're, we're remembering a transformation that the glorious Son of God went through on the cross, left glory, 
suffered and died so that we could become glorious, so that we could be reconciled to God. So that what Peter, James, and John were terrified of on the mountain, you and I as children of God get to celebrate in heaven. And we become God's chosen ones. We become his sons and daughters. God tells other people to listen to us because we're his witnesses. In other words, he makes us righteous and holy and pleasing to him just as, just as Jesus is. That's what the glorious Savior accomplished on our behalf. Father, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you that there's so much here, Lord, that, that, that we can learn from and grow from. I pray that we this morning in worship have just seen a glimpse so that when we go back to the daily grind, we would be changed and transformed to be salt and light to know that we too are now called by you, children of God, in whom you are well pleased, not because of who we are, but because we're counted righteous, as righteous and holy as Jesus is, and that, that you're, you're forming us and making us what you've declared us to be, just as you did Peter, James, and John. Thank you, Father, for that grace that you've shown to each of us. Thank you for the touch that you give to us, telling us, do not, do not be afraid. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, I hope everyone had an opportunity to uh, get a cup as you came in earlier. As always, I'm going to read from the book of Corinthians what Paul says about this sacred moment where Christ sacrificed and gave himself up completely for us. So why don't we pray again. Father, thank you for what this means. It's a very sacred moment, a holy moment, in which we look back, just as Peter later looked back, to what you've done for us in Christ. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. We thank you, Father, for the gift of your grace that we all, by faith, receive. Thank you so much, Lord. May we receive this humbly, uh, in repentance, but also in faith that we're counted pleasing in your sight by the pleasure of your Son, your beloved Son, your chosen one. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's peel off that top layer and hold the, the bread in our hands. Let's think about what Jesus said to those first disciples in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. It says, He looked up and he gave thanks. He broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they did eat. Likewise, he took the cup, so as you prepare the cup, let's pull off that top fin.
What a correction and encouragement this was for the church at Corinth. As they were finding sacrifice for one another very difficult. He said, think about the sacrifice of Jesus. He said, in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And they did drink. Thanks be to God for the body and the blood of Christ our Savior. Let's stand and sing our hymn of invitation. You come as we sing. We're going to sing a newer song for invitation this morning. This is one that our youth sang almost every day of camp, but it so perfectly follows up um, communion and almost just serves as a prayer for a while. give you my life I give you my trust Jesus you are my God and you are enough Jesus you 
presence I will live. We'll sing that again. All to Jesus. All to Jesus I surrender all to you I freely give. I will ever love and trust you in your presence I will live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I Well, y'all have a great morning. Don't forget Sunday school. I've encroached Sunday school time, but, you know, I guess when you, you hadn't been here for two weeks, you, you've had a lot of preparation. So I appreciate your, your attendance and your, your listening. Uh, any word before we close? Invite you back tonight to sing with us and pray with us. That's going to be a special time. Catherine, would you lead us in our doxology, please? Father, we love you, we worship and adore you, glorify thy name in all the earth, We'll see you this evening.